Welcome to the KZU Poetry Slam cast. My name is Tracy Smith. This is episode 65. It was recorded in April of 2002. It is the second half of the third round of the semifinals. Is that enough numbers for you? Did you get all that? Our guest hosts and features for this show were Larry Francis and Eric Daniel from the Ann Arbor Poetry Slam. You know, going through these archives and turning them into a podcast after 20-plus years of sitting on my ass, it's been a very interesting experience, sometimes nostalgic, sometimes a little sad, sometimes a bit triggery, but not always in a bad way. For example, when I get to the end of one of these recordings and I find that we ran out of space on the disc and I don't have everything recorded that I would have liked to have recorded, I'm reminded of how broke-ass poor I was at the time. And I couldn't always afford blank CDs or mini discs, and how limited the technology was. Nowadays, you could record directly onto a USB thumb drive, 100 hours, 200 hours. You'd never have to think about it. Anyway, that's a long way around to get to an apology, because we ran out of space of recording this show. So uh, one of Eric's poems gets clipped at the end. I don't even know what happened after that, uh, only that we all lived through it. What we managed to record is what we managed to record, and I think you're going to enjoy it. This is Slam Poem. Later, like, the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach in the suburban noise of night. There's a question asked in one naked moment that never crossed into I am the smith. I am the poet. I am the industrial I would like the people who run the Kalamazoo Poetry Slam to know that this train is the best special effect I've ever seen at a poetry reading. Excellent. Sounds better than the cappuccino machine. A lot more to look at. Thank you very much. Next poet up, Drac. I love you still in sleepless newborn mornings as I did when first we met. Before my love grew deeper, before enough to stay employed rather than to write enough to bear all the pains of one growing up late for I was one such as you. To see you grow was worth taking the hits your last man should have. The screaming, the crying, the lowered expectations. I'd thought that we would build something beautiful, romantic, but like most complex things, sooner or later, if you neglect to maintain them, you find that all your time seems to be spent in patches, fixes that never satisfy. But every morning, this thing has to be ready to fly, dawn patrol. If we've done it right, we can ignore the tracer charring, the flak holes of yesterday, say, damn, this bird is beautiful, and it flies so perfectly. I love you, and I don't hear the popping rivets of your young man, my nearly ex-girlfriend. 
I don't hear how loud is the wind over the rough shell of tiny estrangements. I try not to see the frayed cables connecting our disparate lives, hobbies shared in spirit only. I love you still flies, still carries us. I thought I could bail. I was so close. But then we clear the cotton mist, and your face is bathed in naked light, and I would rather be here on this skyhook, hung delicately above those clouds. Every day, I rise to beauty. Every day, I feel the risk. Every day, I fall weightless. Every day, I love you. That's Uncle Drac, ladies and gentlemen. See how the judges feel about that. Now, in case you didn't know, two scores. Larry Francis and myself, uh, my name is Vanna White, in case you were wondering, are from Ann Arbor. And two weeks from today, that's 14 days, we have our finals at the Heidelberg on Main Street. So if you're looking for some kick-ass poetry and there's none in Kalamazoo, which would be crazy. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. According to Tracy, you're Slam Master. This place is closed, so fuck it. You got to come. Come to our finals. It's going to be kick-ass. That's May 7th at the Heidelberg. See me or him for details if you want to. We have a 7.9. A 7.5. Hold them up until I'm done reading them all. A 9.4. An 8.2. And you got to read yours, man. A 9.1 for Drac. What you judges want to do for me is like when you think you're going to, okay, this is a 9, you got to go, okay, this is a 9. Like that, about 9 times. 9, 9, see? And then I can read it. And I would appreciate that so much. 25.2 for Anka Drac. Give it up for that poet. Isn't Eric just the nastiest scold you've ever met? Hmm? Always swearing at people, yelling at people. Write the scores any way you want. It's okay. Next up, Dawn. She was a no-name child, just a little scrap of worn leather the dog might have chewed on. In other words, I wonder if anyone really loved her. She stood by, trying to get near the baby. Her mother was paying no attention as she imitated her actions, trying to be beautiful, trying to be grown up, not even noticed. I wanted to give her a beautiful name, but she answered to, hey, get your ass over here. He was a big man, hardened by the years, and I wonder what cause created this effect. I didn't tell you to read. She crossed the laundromat, quiet, defeated already at age six. 
She passed me, and I saw eyes peeking through tears, scared. I'm going to beat your ass. She walked a little faster, almost tripping over legs like twigs. To say she was breakable is an understatement, and I remember. I remember the searching in her eyes. I've seen children like saplings waiting to bend for the storm, hundreds of no-name orphans waiting for someone to believe. To speak for the voiceless lost, I was one of them. And that day, I stayed silent, folded my laundry, and tried not to remember what it feels like when fear is the skin that teaches you to love. She is not the only one, like I was not the only one. Her eyes were my eyes, cold and never realized. To say she didn't know any better is heartbreaking, but she didn't. Didn't know that it shouldn't be like this. When I was 12, I wrote on a scrap of paper. It was supposed to be anonymous, but they must have suspected from the bruises on my legs. All they taught me was silence. And I swore that I would always speak out for the children who couldn't. But that day, amongst the fabric softener and fluorescent lighting, I betrayed my past because I remembered and I was still afraid. And now one more girl may grow into a woman terrified of her voice. This woman will learn how to hide her tears, her fears of history too much to voice against the pressures of expectation. The next time I see that little girl, because she is every forgotten angel, I will take her hands, look into her eyes, and offer a new translation for the word love. Take the hope in my heart and place it in her palms. Tell her that in her hands lies her destiny and that she is a beautiful miracle. I will give her a new name. I will call her Providence. That was Don Saylor, ladies and gentlemen. Judges are doing that magical thing, turning that art into numbers. I have one score, and it's very readable. Two scores, very readable. Thank you very much. Excellent. Four. Very happy with that. It, if you're upset about having to wait too long, just let that guy over there know. We have a 9.3. Another 9.3. Yet another 9.3. An 8.3. Okay, you didn't hear it from me, but it was them over there. <laughs> and a 9.6 for Don Saylor. For that 8.6 judge, maybe you didn't see Don. I'm sorry, that last one was a 9.4, even though it doesn't matter. Because it was a high score and it gets thrown out. A 27.9. For Don Saylor. The next poet up is Chris Fisher. Meeting the Man or Song for James Baldwin. I was 17 and I read his words for the first time. It took me to places that I had never been before Atlanta. New York City, Harlem, New Orleans, Beale Street, Bourbon Street, other places that sounded exotic and beautiful. And I was there with them. Every time I heard those words, I was there 
and I could picture them in my mind's eye, and I ate it up like French bread and brie and blue cheese, and I imbibed them like a fine red Bordeaux. Hmm, can taste it now. <laughs> um, um, it's all right. I got it. It's just it's just in here. I can do it. <laughs> um, I taste it like a fine red Bordeaux. I was drunk with his words drunk with life and living. And when I read Fire Next Time for the first time, I had the hope that I had never had before, this, this time when uh, Doomsday Clock was clicking one more minute towards midnight. And sometimes I'd see him crossing campus, and I'd hear his swiftly lilting gait crossing the campus, and it would click, click on the concrete, and I'd see his gaily patterned poncho weave and out of the corner of my eye, just weave and back and forth, and I was too shy to catch his eye. Other times I'd see him, and he'd be sitting at a sidewalk cafe, his pen poised over paper, his other hand toying absently with his coffee cup, and He'd catch my eye, catch it with a curious stare, knowing that I knew both nothing and something. Other times, oh, damn. <laughs> Hold it, guys. <laughs> it's got to come out. Ladies and gentlemen. Judges, how do you feel? I don't know who that was, but I like him. Now I know who it was. I have three scores out. Oh, I'm it happens to the best of anybody. I tell you that right now. I have four scores. All right, I have a 7.0, a 7.5, a 7, a 6.5, and a 9.2 for Chris. Unfortunately, we have a 0.5 time penalty, Tracy, 0.5 for a time of 3.16. 21 even for Chris. Give it up for that poet. The slam, so cruel, so cruel. We are halfway through this slam. Our sixth poet up will be Chris Trudell. On any given morning, I wake up to the phone singing like a lake at the crest of a wave. And that sound bounds outward and startles a bird that's resting at the window. And the bird 
is red like morning. It's tender, blood-colored, and burning, and it takes off and flies southbound on the concrete river seeking food and nest fodder. Its wingtips brush the wind. Soon it is watching water dripping from a park bench being soaked by a sprinkler. It was turned on by a man as rickety as the walking stick that's resting at his side. It was a gift from his grandfather carved with endless, endless notches. And before the year is over, he will give it to his son, who ten miles away is waiting for his daughter. She is playing a piano in a room full of gaping windows. She is thinking about Picasso, but all she can see are the keys. Outside, there is a garden. The roses drink the music next to a woman swaying, graceful like a feather trapped inside the wind. She picks only the tomatoes and puts them in a basket. The basket was a present from her husband. He is driving to the store to buy some pipe tobacco. He's fumbling with the radio as he's tapping on the brakes. And behind him, there's a mailman who's worked for 30 years, has never seen the ocean, and will always pray for change. And his girlfriend, she's waiting tables at some diner on some corner where she knows all the customers' names. And all she wants to do is go home and fill the bathtub full of bubbling water and forget the morning strain. And as she goes home, she passes all the houses, thinking only of her own. And as she looks up at the one she's passing, there is a phone ringing behind the window. And the person who is calling is resting from her work, and she is as beautiful as the wonder of the world that spins around her. And she is calling someone who loves her the way the desert loves the rain. And as I pick up the phone and I speak softly to her, I know the miracle of the morning on any given day. Give it up, ladies and gentlemen. You think the judges are going fast enough, crowd? <laughs> I heard a they rule and a boo. Tough. Oh, the judge, the judge is mouthing off to you. <laughs> Ooh, there goes your only vote. All right, I have five scores. I have it 9.0, an 8.1, 7.5. Back there, is that an 8.8? 9.3, 9 and in the very back, an 8.5. How do we feel about those scores, ladies and gentlemen? Sounded like a lot of ennui. <laughs> huh. 25.6. Give it up for that poet, ladies and gentlemen. The next poet, Greg. Beep, beep, and goodbye, love. Beep, beep, and goodbye, love. In the beginning, I thought you were some sort of club girl Venus, a sensual nexus that I should be so very happy to happen upon. But lately, I've been wondering about the last three lines that dribbled out of your lips. Not that I weigh your every word. It's just that every once in a while, you take on this rather Beatlesque tone, which under the proper circumstance, I could sing along with such an anthem, however lonely or fuzzy or blue-eyed wonderful. 
You see, lately, I've been worn thin, tired of wading through relationships with a Prozac blank joy on my face. It's better this way, I heard her say. And sometimes I feel muzzy, too. And I heard myself reply, how very lucky are we because I know my seasons, and this time I have no reason to stick around for some sort of beep-beep love. She smiled and continued dancing. But imagine if we could go out in this weather, happy to be happy together, sliding through the frozen food section, our carts overflowing with wild delusions, lucky upon checking out to be the one millionth customer on the one millionth day. My, what our friends and family would say, and even if we ended up fighting like round eyes and Chinamen in the Boxer Rebellion, everyone would consider our fortune as if we were something to happen upon when life got a bit too puzzly. And every day would be Sunday. And all our single male friends would saunter about like Morrissey, rambling incoherently about the terrors of celibacy, warbling in the most delicate of treble falsettos. And on Sunday, my mother would visit, bringing buckets of tomato bisque with forests of celery, icing puddles flowing with cream cheese. And on Sunday, she'd forget your name. And on Sunday, I'd have the distinct pleasure of reintroducing the two of you, you wiping a dab of cheese from the corner of my chin, we chortling together, she producing baby photos with devilish delight. And you, you'd always be my best friend. And I'd be the boy down the block who always wanted to bring you flowers to be happy upon, but you would have allergies. Curious sensitivities, and so I would purchase silk roses at the dime store, memorize sonnets from the Portuguese, reciting them over shortbread and tea, and we, we would go on exquisite walks through ancient grass prairies, tramping crop circles for circus freaks to discover with conspiratorial speculation. And when sunset sent us into our Monday morning worlds, you would whisper before we disappeared, don't say to me it's over. And so I wouldn't say anything at all. And you would whisper, isn't it good? Norwegian word. And I'd look at you as if that was our last song. And so it would be in days as these when you were my only Venus and we would weigh every word and the horizon would go fuzzy as we said goodbye to Sunday, writing secret notes to one another, wondering how we had been this lucky to have happened upon one another while traffic twirled about us so in love and so oblivious in this beep-beep swirling almost love, this beep-beep nearly goodbye love, your beep-beep lover world. That was Greg, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Two minutes, 59 seconds. <laughs> 85 milliseconds. Three scores. Now, in case you were wondering, this whole thing is going to go on one more time. Next week, right, Tracy? That's next week, but in not semifinals. We're going to drop that whole semi thing and just do the finals. And that's going to be hosted by Crystal Ash of Chicago fame and a guy named Shappy. And my suggestion to you is run now. With possible special guest star from Austin, Texas, Ernie Klein. That's just a maybe. Don't quote me on that. We have an 8.7, a 9.5, a 9.3, a 9 even. Yeah? I'm sorry, 9.1 and a 9.4. Yes? 
Yes, 9.4. Which gives us a final score of 27.8 for Greg Bliss. The next poet is Ryan. I'll start by ruining every date I see. Take up a job at the Olive Garden and put high-strength laxatives into every couple's food. Spiking the gentleman's wine with saltpeter and itching powder on the lady's napkin. I'll go to my second job as a projectionist at a local theater, splicing single-frame messages into features reading, He'll use you. (laughs) She's sleeping with your friend. He doesn't love you. And Lorena Bobbitt! I'll deflate limo tires outside of proms and pay chauffeurs to get lost on the highway to the dance, taking them instead to burn-ups where the strong, strapping young man in back can get out and ask Toothless Joe directions to the Van Andel Museum. I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to get a job at the Grand Rapids Press and Photoshop images of famous serial killers into wedding announcement pictures, standing next to the hopeful bride-to-be, and print phony divorce notices of Todd Bannon and his wife. I'm declaring war at the matchmakers, too, setting up hundreds of fake accounts showing off the personality traits of such winners as Box 741, Jeff. Ha, my name is Jeff, but you can call me J-Man. My interests are professional wrestling, fantasizing about having sex with porn stars, getting laid on the first date before I pay for dinner, and long walks on the beach. If you think you can handle this much, man, give me a call. I'll be waiting and sending crime scene photos of homicides is my personal picture. Imagine it, ladies. Hi, Susan. It's so nice to see you. Well, we've gotten a lot of responses for you. First, there's Jeff. Oh, you've met Jeff. Well, what did you think? No? Well, we've got another one here. His name's Ryan. His file says he's a Pisces Aries cusp. He's a slam poet. Mm, Sounds interesting. Enjoys the arts. Says here that Ryan has taken part in various acts of guerrilla poetry, and he enjoys long walks at night in the dark parts of the city where the police don't patrol very often. That means he likes adventure. And here's his photo. Yes, yes, I know. He doesn't look the greatest right there, but he says the hospital managed to reattach his arm and foot, though they're still working on a new hand for him. So what do you say? No one is going to be safe when I am done. Girls, boys, and boys, one last time. Boys, you can come one more time because I am going to make (laughs) 
That was Ryan, ladies and gentlemen. Three minutes, ten seconds. Even. Which puts him just under the .5 time penalty. Good job, Ryan. I have two scores, three scores, four. I have an 8.8, a 7.8, an 8.8, a 9.2, and if it counted, it'd be fucking great, negative 1,000. That's going to count as a zero tonight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's just going to count as a zero tonight. As you know, we drop the low and drop the high and add those three in the middle. So I've never seen a negative 1,000. I've seen a negative infinity, so sorry. <laughs> 25.4 for Ryan from Grand Rapids. We have two poets to go. Next up, Andrew. Well, I'm sitting in the tavern drinking beer and passing gas. And I can't get a date because I got pimples on my ass. There's not a single woman in this bar who wants to screw, so there's just one thing left for me to do. Yes, there's just one thing for me to do. Tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift to be free. But it's a right to stroke your pecker when you pee. And when you're on the back porch with the moon up above, you can stroke your little friend with a velvet glove. You can stoke your little friend with a glove. Well, it doesn't matter if you're Wimpy or a Green Bay Packer. You can have a lot of fun just you and your tallywhacker. Just remember when you're sitting with the moon up above and your favorite little friend and your velvet glove that you're having sex with someone you love. Well, I'm sitting in the tavern passing gas and drinking beer, and the only one who wants to fuck is Bruce the local queer. I'm looking at a double shot he bought for me for free, and there's just one thing that is left for me. Cause oh, Bruce sure ain't looking good to me. Tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift to be free, but it's a right to stroke your pecker when you pee. And when you're on the back porch with a moon up above, you can stroke your little friend with a velvet glove. You can stroke your little friend with a glove. That was Drew with a poem that he told me the title of Poetic Suicide. No, no, for real. That's what he said the title was. 
Oh, okay. Now, if you see Drew on that back porch with a velvet glove, leave quickly. What is that? Ah, yes. Very nice. We have an 8.4. Is that an 8.0? We have an 8.0? We have a 7.9. A 6 even. And complete with a drawing of an ejaculating penis, a 9.6 right up front. Who drew? Who drew the ejaculating penis? Who did that? Write them. Show it up. Oh my God. Bring it up. In heaven. And they look so civil. Isn't it lovely? Look at that. You think, good Lord. The 9.6 is almost a little testes dragging off the bottom. My goodness. I wonder how many children nice. they have. My goodness. I don't know. <laughs> 24.3 for Andrew. We are to the last boat in the slam, and that would be Todd. And this is for my wife, Susan. When I was a semi-suicidal teen, I used to fantasize about my funeral. I would see myself laid out in a cherrywood coffin lined in white silk. I'd think about who would come and who would not and what would they say about me. I imagined all the girls who'd always wanted me but had been too shy to ask, loudly weeping for their irrevocable loss. The schoolyard bullies would beg my dead body forgiveness, and Prince and the Revolution would play Sometimes It Snows in April, which was my favorite song. But even then, I knew that funerals are only temporary stoppages in time. Even if the celebration of my life was the kick-ass event of the season, and they had a special page in the high school yearbook devoted just to me, eventually, people would stop talking about the funeral, stop talking about the dead guy, I would pass slowly out of memory. My photographs would gather dust. My little brother would inherit my room. At 16, I had far more potential than accomplishments, and no one remembers potential. I'm not ready to die right now, but the idea of my immortality still keeps me up nights. The very thought of never dying, never dying, never dying kills me. I have foreseen myself wrapped in linen, arms crossed across my chest, lying in the sarcophagus, laid in the tomb. That vision is far more comforting than me at 450, having read all the books, learned all the languages, tried every position in the Kama Sutra. There is nothing left but loneliness and sorrow. I still think about my funeral. You can bet I'll be watching, so don't you dare bury me in some cheap white pine box. I want my body to be bronzed and displayed in the Smithsonian. I want all my letters and journals and poetry to be published posthumously. I want a full-length Japanese anime movie made depicting my life. My funeral will be my last-ditch effort at validation. All my friends in heaven and hell will be there. I'm talking Hendrix and Hemingway, James Joyce and Janis Joplin, and I don't want them to think I didn't know anybody before I died. You invite everyone I've ever known. I don't care if they loved me or hated me. If heaven's got beers, I'll be drinking right along with my relatives, all tanked and weeping and laughing at the same time. And I'll be watching you, all quiet dignity, 
surrounded by the living, still loving you, still holding you up, though you never needed to be held. So if you have to wear black, make it that black evening gown, the one with the slit that goes almost all the way up, because I'll be dancing and singing with you long Well, I hate to interrupt your beer, but we're going to do some more poems. I would like to thank the people here at Kalamazoo for saying, come here to Kalamazoo. Nice place you got here. Thanks. I've got three pieces, and then Eric Daniel will come up and close out the night, and then you can wander off to the rest of your lives. <laughs> Sorry, you have to wander off to the rest of your life. Come with me, and tomorrow you may give the meat test to 11th graders in Canton, Michigan, if you'd like. What? You don't live there, Dawn. Oh, did you really? Oh, my goodness. A small world. Did I do a good job? Oh, okay. That's good. Okay. Okay. This first piece is an invocation to the muse, but then somebody told me muses didn't exist. So I decided to make an invocation to poets. I'm guessing that they actually do exist. <clears throat> oh, ye poets and ye holy spuds, ye sparky three-eyed dogs of the low moaning soul, your torsos be limbed with clawed arms aplenty, spewing bejeweled foamy mouth spew. Mines of spiked plastic jelly with your words damned high on spinal node. Throttle the limp word wordlers, those noun infested tongue fat drabs. And thrash abstract thought in generators, those entity being flesh things. Smother their passive roar with verb slice and soul skewer your holy arc mouth spark extrudes your best words maybe oblate maybe spaghetti maybe Kalamazoo Go ye forth in your little poet pants and your little poet shirts, your well-oiled jaw with the bread words deep in your pocket, and smite the language dead in their mouths. Smite the word flurry in the very air. Use all the air, poets. Use all Poets, speak ye, smite the stillborn word. Smite, 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 smite. O oh, ye poets, all this smiting shall gladden my soul.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Eric has to help me with this piece because my schizophrenia is waning. <laughs> Don't say it that way. <laughs> I started out to be a priest, and then I became a teacher, then I realized I actually had become a priest. <laughs> He's not lying. <laughs> this is what's left over. It's called... To whom it may concern, a burnt offering for two voices. You ready, boy? Ready. I come unto the altar of the sacrifice. What is with all this blood? I come into the sacred ground, a human on the planet feeling the sacredness of the place. Oh, this place is dying, man. I look into the they tell me they're whirling heavens, and every scientist reminds me I'm looking at the past. I wouldn't mind seeing the apocalypse. And I'm glad there's no God around to see this. Well, come here, you porky rascal. The brimming flesh pots, the heaps of carcasses. Oh, why don't you come here and give me a blowjob? Your huh? vapid countenances, your riotous hedonism. Oh, the Holy Ghost diddled your mom. It's an unspunked, flickering flame what's got our spirit licked, and I am out of obvious truths. I'm out of weed. I am bereft of that which customarily behooves. Where are you? W-W-W. What is keeping you? Dot org, dot com, dot edu. And I'm flailing in a subtle, bound to be unnoticed, minor flail. Shut. I'm signifying with the hand. Shut your hole. And I'm signifying with the mouth. Shut. Shut your hole. With the mind, with the central nervous system, with my line man grives a live one posture. Shut up, shut up, shut everything you could possibly open up. I'm doing the usual voice of one crying out in the desert behavior. I keep my lips all puckered up. My hair unkempt, my nails oh, ragged. Give us a kiss. Just a little kiss. Everything I say makes the wretched titter. Merry thoughts, merry thoughts, merry thoughts. I will go into the thoughts. altar of someone's God. I will slap back and forth and again whatever priest impedes my ascension. I will command the choir. We will sing in the nude. We will all have WWJD tattooed on our pubic mounds. Oh, kiss. Just a little kiss. Come on. I will pray with all of my minds, dear listener of prayers. Ah, shut up. You Jesus. who expands and contracts without regard for all the battling blah, organisms. Blah, 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 You blah. who suckers not humans howling, heart sick in cemetery madness. I am not the Lord thy God. You who does not mind the endless list of species being dragged off to the interstellar nappers. Thou shalt stop thy endless bitching. You whom we keep addressing without the least ghost of a hope that you exist. Just who the hell are we supposed to address, sir? Please, go away. Go, but first, ride in on some cloud wearing your omnipotent finest. Don't forget your scepter. And call off the dogs. <laughs> Tell them <laughs> there's no heaven. Tell them 
you're gonna get in trouble. Tell him there's no heaven. There's no hell. Tell him there's no afterlife. There's no missing link. Nothing was random. Nothing was planned. Tell him. Tell him. And then get out of here and go and don't come back. Go. 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 I'd still like to sacrifice something. One more piece. This piece actually has a slam pedigree. Uh, back when I used to slam, back in the early days of slam, I uh, have gotten both a 2.5 and a national competition from a Chicago Tribune literary critic for this poem. And I also got a 10 for this poem. I got the 10 in Indiana from a guy who ran a Kentucky Fried Chicken. I've never forgotten it. <laughs> You'll see why. <clears throat> it's called getting a hold on things. I parked a car in the driveway, threw the door shut, cut across the lawn to the front door, yanked at the front door, locked, God damn it, my shoulder. Keys, where'd I put the keys? This pocket, that, oh, here they are. I blew past the door, let my pack down, shucked the coat, Christmas tree still tipped over. Hell with it. I checked the clock, I grabbed a pan, I lit the oven, I grabbed a chicken, I washed the chicken, I started thinking about chickens, I felt it up for the giblets, <laughs> ground them into disposal, and I thought about the blades tearing at the giblets, and I thought about my giblets, and I winced, and I laughed, and I spit. Then I ovened the chicken, slammed the door, spun 180 degrees, and for a moment, I forgot how to hurry. And then I remembered, I yanked at the fridge, the door magnet stuck, fridge started to tip, thought of Steve on Qualudes, never seen anyone pull a fridge over on themselves since. <laughs> oven timer, Jesus, reset the timer, got the fridge open, thought of Steve laughing with a refrigerator on top of him. I froze, I saw my left hand on the kitchen counter, and I stopped. I started to think of the evanescent luminosity by which we see hands on counters. Then I thought of myself actually thinking the word evanescent to myself. I thought of myself thinking of myself, judging my choice of words. I realized I was engaged in a hostile conflict. I noticed the universe receding, tried to make it stop, failed. Meanwhile, a dead chicken's ass roasted. I noticed that my hand wasn't on the counter anymore. I thought about my giblets again. Ah, there's my hand. Noticed the dust moat. Got all sentimental. I thought of the evanescent luminosity by which we see dust motes. Remember the chicken. Spun 180 degrees. The oven was open. Spun 180 degrees. The little pecker had the fridge open and was trying to hide behind the non-nutritive dehorning gel. I grabbed the hole, but it dragged me in. The door shut. I was in the dark with a disemboweled, haunted chicken. I felt perhaps things were passing beyond my control. All of a sudden, the door flew open. 
the chicken hiked my arm up behind my back and shoved. And there parked on the kitchen counter was my car. The Christmas tree was in the rear seat. Its branches splayed suggestively. The chicken grabbed me by the giblets. Drive, big guy, it said. The oven timer went off. The chicken tightened its grip. I remember thinking about the evanescent luminosity. The tree threw the door open. There were gib chicken giblets all over the driver's seat. The universe he hurtled headlong towards me. The chicken tightened its grip. I tightened mine. Ah, there's the key. I was finally getting a hold of Thank you very much. And now to the microphone, Eric Daniel. Bye, Jeffrey. Bye, Michelle. Hello, Kalamazoo. Thank you very much for giving me the exact amount of energy that I gave you for that hello. <laughs> That's instant karma if I've ever seen it. Okay. I, I've actually featured here once before, which was, what, was that was more than a year ago, right? It was quite a long time ago. Well, for those of you that know me, they know I always open my show with a classic of American literature. I, I am a scholar. Thanks to my instructor, Larry Francis, uh, who routinely slapped my face in school. <laughs> yes, I was a quick mover. Uh, maybe later, okay, maybe. But I'm, actually, I'm doing an actual classic now. This is by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Okay. Which uh, I haven't done this before, so uh, hopefully we'll, we'll do well with it. No, it's not that one. Ring out, wild bells to the wild sky. The flying cloud, the frosty lights. The year is dying in the night. Ring out, wild bells, and let him die. Ring out the old, ring in the new. Ring happy bells across the snow. The year is going, let him go. Ring out the false. Ring in the true. Ring out the grief that saps the mind. For those that here we see no more, ring out the feud of rich and poor. Ring in redress to all mankind. Ring out a slowly dying cause in ancient forms of party strife. Ring in the nobler modes of, of life with sweeter manners, purer laws. Ring out the want, the care, the sin, the faithless coldness of the times. Ring out, ring out my mournful rhymes, but ring the fuller minstrel in. Ring out false pride in place and blood, the civic slander and the spite. Ring in the love of truth and right. Ring in the common love of good. Ring out old shapes of foul disease. Ring out the narrowing lust of gold. Ring out the thousand wars of old. Ring in the thousand years of peace. Ring in the valiant man and free, the larger heart, the kinder hand. Ring out the darkness of the land. Ring in the Christ that is to be. Ring out wild bells to the wild sky, the flying cloud, the frosty light. This year is dying in the night. Ring out wild bells and let him die.
Thanks. That was Alfred Lord Tennyson, ladies and gentlemen. Little ditty from a couple hundred years ago. Okay. He's he's dead. 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 <laughs> I got better. I don't give start. <laughs> I love you too. Thank you very much. Yes, I love Colleen too. More culture. All right. Then. I'm not going to read out immortal poems of the English language again. I'm sorry. Is it Britney Spears' birthday? Oh, Shakespeare's birthday. I thought I said Britney Spears. She shakes her spears. Shut up! I'm gonna do one of my poems. God damn it! All right, this is a uh, this is a shitty poem. Just so you know, yeah, I tried to write a poem today, something clever and true, to remind me that I deserve these breaths that I take. But the storm outside was louder than the word, and there was truth in the tempest, but it wasn't the kind that I was looking for. You see. Storms are tricky things. They can feed the world just as well as tear it up. But I had doors and walls and windows, so sometimes I wouldn't see. This is your partner. Has the whole world gone crazy? Am I the only one around here who gives a shit about the rules? Market zero! They're calling the cops, man. Put the piece away. Market zero! Walter, put the piece away. Walter? You think I'm fucking around here? Market zero! 